Hello students and welcome to Class of X, the free internet course on how to read and enjoy the X-Men comics better. I'm your teacher and host, John Reisinger, and today we are starting our journey of covering one of the most massive crossover events in comic book history. That's right, today we begin our discussion on Ed Brubaker, Peter David, Craig Kyle, Chris Yost, and Mike Carey's End to the Decimation Era. We're talking Messiah Complex. This has been a story I have been building up to for a little bit now. We've been setting up all of the dominoes to knock over so we could talk about this and you guys could have some semblance of what's going on with this giant event. Um, This is definitely one of those stories from the X-Men that is insanely important, a huge part of the canonical history of X-Men as a whole. It's even something that you like actually would benefit from knowledge of in order to read current X-Men comics in in this post-Krakoan era. Um, Jonathan Hickman set that up with a soft reboot, but there is so much going on in the Krakoan era that was 100% set up by the Messiah Complex story that this is so important for everybody to kind of take time to understand and catch up on. But in order to do so, you know, there's a lot of history for you to understand even before reading this historical piece, which is why we have this show. It's why I make this show because there's some great stories out there. People love the X-Men. I want people to love them more, but those mutants can be a little confusing if you want to jump in and try to understand them based off of the limited knowledge you can get from things like the Fox Kids animation show or the, you know, X-Men movies. Um, you can watch all those shows, watch all those movies, and you still won't be able to know who half these characters are in this story because this story covered just spanned across every title going on at the time. There's uncanny X-Men, new X-Men, X-Men, X-Factor, and am I missing one? Um, it covers a lot. Uh, there, there's just so much happening in this story. Um, and it is, like I said, that this is in, in, in 2015. Is that what the date was in 2015? Uh, you know, Oh no, 2005, 2005. And there's a five at the end of it. Sorry. 2005 house of M happens. If you've listened to the episode we did covering house of M, that was the big event where the Scarlet witch uses her massive reality warping powers to create this alternate reality where the mutants have won. And the end of all that is spoilers. Well, not really spoilers. We already did an episode on this, but spoilers. Um, they, it doesn't work out well. Everyone is mad at Scarlet Witch and she solves it by doing one last little spell that's just three words, no more mutants, and she removes 98% of the mutants in the world. Not just in her world, but they learned later on she she caused this to ripple across all alternate universes. And so what remained in Earth 616 was roughly 198 mutants left on the planet, which is of extremely low amount compared to what was kind of building up at that point. This is kind of a a point of contention that a lot of critics have said is a problem with the X-Men whenever they fall back on this trope, which is whenever mutants become too prevalent in the Marvel universe, they often do some big event that gets rid of them because that's the, that's the toy. That's the ploy that they can, they can put out there. Um, and some people like it. Some people don't like it. Sometimes it's done better. Sometimes it's done worse. I'm not here to talk about whether or not decimation era was a good or bad part of the X-Men 
history. But what I will say is that it did build up to a very satisfying and epic story in this Messiah Complex story, which covers about 13, takes place in about 13 different issues, including a one shot that kind of starts it all off that was um, written by Ed Brubaker. Um, like I said at the top of this episode, uh, this is written, technically this this whole event was written by a team of, of people, men. It's all men. It's usually as men. <laughs> that are writing these comics. Um, but Ed Brubaker, I believe, uh, seems to be the the head of this operation, the captain of the ship that requires more than just himself to run. Um, but he's the one who starts it off with this one shot that kind of uh, jumpstarts the whole thing. But before we can get into that, I wanted to do a little something that I like to do before we start talking about that story. And as I, I want to talk a little bit about what would be helpful to have context for before you jump in. If if you want to read this story, even if, if I just covered the story itself, there's a lot of preamble that some of which we've covered in previous episodes of this show. So if I mention one, you might want to go back and listen or re-listen and have some fun with that. Otherwise, I'm going to give you some, you know, the cliff notes on like what you should understand before you get into Messiah Complex to know where the X-Men are and where all this extra cast, where they come from that's happening in this these books um, and, and what happened previously. So you kind of have understand like, why is Rogue unconscious? And with like mystique because <laughs> you, you probably be like i don't know i don't know why she's 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 in la la land um the first of which i've already covered uh was the scarlet witch's house of m moment that's where we are basically what followed house of m was a series of books but there was kind of one event that that predates messiah complex and that's endangered species um but other than that prior to that house of m occurred um we also covered uh deadly genesis which kind of sets up the context of like if you're reading Messiah complex like why why Cyclops so mad at Professor X why he be so mean to him um, it's because we covered the story where uh, the whole team X-Men and Cyclops and everybody learned that Professor X had a whole other X-Men team that uh, occurred in between their original team and the new team that was formed in giant size X-Men with like Wolverine and Storm and Banshee and that this team kind of got uh, murdered um, on the island of Krakoa um, in so many ways or less. Um, and that Professor X just was like, I'm just going to alter everybody's memories so they forget my whoopsies. And so they're all mad at Professor X because he, he like, you know, manipulated their memories and and made Cyclops forget that he had a, another brother. Um, so, yeah, we're at this point in the X-Men history where Cyclops and Emma Frost are, one, they're a couple, and two, they're running the school. Um, they're a couple because of... Uh, they were having an affair while Jean Grey was alive. And then Jean Grey died in a fight with um, something that looked like it was Magneto. I can't get into all the details of how New X-Men ended with Grant Morrison's story. But long story short, they fight a, a thing that's like Magneto. The thing that's like Magneto kills Jean Grey. And so Cyclops, uh, you know, lemonade out of lemon, starts da fully dating Emma Frost um, and running the school together with her. Um, so Professor X is there and kind of like trying to advise. Um, and at this point he has, he, he lost his powers from the decimation event, but he has them back. Both him and Magneto lost their powers, but they get them back before all the mutants get their powers back. Um, so yeah, this is why Professor X, he's on the, the outs during the story. Um, 
the purifiers. We got to meet them when we did an episode all about uh, Nimrod. Um, the purifiers have been around for a while. I I think they were introduced in God Loves, Man Kills, um, which is a story I haven't covered yet. But that's basically the story that uh, inspired X-Men 2. So if you've seen X-Men 2 and you remember the big baddie guy that was in that, he's the one who kind of forms this team of uh, religious uh, you know, zealots that think that not just mutants aren't just like an abomination to like, you know, evolution or whatever. They're an abomination to God. Um, they're, they're very much like tapping into a little bit of the religious subtext of the relationship between like the church and the gays. Um, and so basically if you think about how the church historically has treated the gays, that's how the purifiers were treating the mutants. Um, and so, uh, they are a big, antagonist in this story and have been for a while endangered species they're a big antagonist um and in fact one of the most horrific events that they uh uh caused right after the house of m decimation event was you know the school's full of a bunch of mutants that are now depowered they're they're normal humans um and so they don't deem them as safe at the school so all the mutants that are still mutants can stay at the school but the rest are being like bussed off head back home you're you're people now you're homo sapiens and so they all get them on buses and the purifiers bomb the buses and they are so fanatical about the you know ending of the mutant race that even former mutants the ones that are just humans now no longer have an x gene they still bomb them they bomb these children and so uh, the purifiers are are very very nasty and very very bad and very much an easily hated uh villain for this story um and like i said what was happening prior to this was a story called endangered species a lot happens in endangered species. It's kind of a scattered story that doesn't really have one specific like through line. The, the, the most I can say as far as like the main plot of it is that Mr. Sinister, who we've met um, before in other episodes, him and his boys, uh, his team of, of mutants and, and cyborgs called the Marauders, um, he's sending them out to basically get rid of every single record of the future, whether it be physical record or even, you know, mutants that can see the future. He's consolidating information of what's to come ahead because he has some prior information that something big is coming. Um, he has his information has used it, uh, even to, uh, ally himself, um, align himself with, uh, Exodus and the Acolytes. Um, if you remember Exodus and the Acolytes, they are former zealots of Magneto's way. And since Magneto's out of the picture right now, um, him and the Acolytes are just like, they're kind of following Exodus for the most part. And Exodus has aligned himself with Sinister because Sinister has promised that he can bring back the mutant era. Exodus is kind of things that uh, he's this religious fanatic who thinks that like, the the mutants are like god's future and are precious and sacred and this world now in a decimation area where the the mutants are gone is like he's not okay with it none of them are okay with it but it's really a, a problem for him because of his religiously fanatical 
mind. Um, so yeah, Sinister is eliminating all accounts of the future, which you know it's building up to this Messiah complex, which is why a Messiah complex opens with um, some involvement of the Marauders, and and the whole story involves Sinister and the Marauders a ton. Um, the other thing, like I talked about a second ago about Rogue, who's unconscious. Another thing that happened, I believe, during Endangered Species um, was. I'm not going to get into what the hecatome is, um, but this thing called the hecatome, which was a giant, let's call it a bomb. Let's call it a big weapon of mass destruction was diffused by rogue, which involved her absorbing 8 billion alien Shi'ar minds. Um, And so she's basically, her powers are overwhelming her. Um, she can't, she can't control things that touch her even more. Like they basically just like, if someone touches her at this point, they will just be a hundred percent absorbed in her forever. Um, her own conscious is splintered and is in pieces in her mind. And so she's unconscious and in a, you know, perilous state and mystique, um, who actually like cares for rogue in her own twisted way is doing everything she can to bring rogue back mystique at this point has already lost her longtime wife um destiny who at this point has died this is pre crack cohen era resurrection stuff um and so mystique's like all i have left is rogue which is very sad because she also has nightcrawler but she's always very mean in nightcrawler um who's also her son if i haven't said that enough lately um but she's trying to take care of rogue and so she's doing stuff she can in order to bring back rogue and so she's working with Sinister because Sinister's promised also that he can do that. Um, Sinister's making a lot of promises. He does that a lot. He's a manipulator. Um, and so Rogue is is MIA on the table. Um, also at this point, uh, Cable um, has uh, seemingly died in an explosion. Again, this whole thing of where like Sinister was sending his marauders to get rid of people who have information in the future. Well, Cable has a lot of information on the future. He comes from the future. He has documentation and computers and all kinds of stuff that have all his information. And so, um, the marauders try to attack Cable and he solves the situation by basically like turning on the self-destruct sequence of his big old base. Um, and a big explosion happens and Cable dies. Um, or does he? He doesn't. Um, but at this point, we think Cable is dead, just so you're in the mindset of where comic book readers are would be at this point. Um, and then, like I said, other than that, the Marauders are working with the Acolytes, and so that's why in Messiah Complex, you kind of like the X-Men involve themselves with the Acolytes in order to involve themselves with the Marauders. Um, that's, for the most part, everything you really need to know leading up to this. There's probably other little minutia level details like uh, Omega Sentinel is being controlled by this mutant called Malice who can kind of control people and possess them. She did it with Polaris for forever. Um, So that's why when you're like, why is the Omega Sentinel being so mean to everybody? It's because she's not in control of her body during this story. So if you're reading Messiah Complex and you're like, oh, but I liked her during the, the story we read with the Children of the Vault. She's She's, well, she'll be bad again later, but right now she's only bad because Malice is controlling her. Anyways, other than that, not a lot of, lot of other preamble that you really need to know. If there is, when we go through like these issues, I'll try to give some context as I always do. Um, and I will most likely sound like a crazy person um, because it's kind of when you, when you describe the X-Men's history, which is very lengthy and complex, you don't really sound sane. Um, it's hard to. Uh, but... That's the preamble. That's the the prologue. Prelogue? Prologue. 
I can never get that right. Um, but here's basically the premise that is set up in the first one shot, the Messiah complex one shot that is written by Ed Brubaker. Um, again, we talked about how this is like November of 05 house of M decimation event happens. This issue comes out in October of 2007. So two years later, two years, we've had no new mutants, no mutant babies, only 198 mutants were left. At this point, a bunch have died because of certain reasons in the stories. And so there's even less than 198. Um, and so we open on what is a massive event, um, a, you know, an event that breaks Cerebro and, and, you know, shuts down electrical equipment and psychics all around because it's such a huge event. A mutant baby is born for the first time and it's born in Cooperstown, Alaska. Professor X is using Cerebro and he just kind of gets blowback from it. And so Cyclops goes to full tactician mode and is like, bring me that baby. I need that baby. And he sends his BFF Wolverine with some uh, other X-Men to go get that baby. Um, what they come across is like a massacre. Like the, the town is on fire. Most people are dead. They find that like all the children in the town have been killed. Um, and on top of that, they also find bodies of both purifiers um, the, the bad religious men. Um, and then a bunch of marauders who are unconscious or dead. Um, and so Wolverine kind of deduces that they like, they're about half an hour late to a big battle that happened. And, um, they figure out that, uh, the new mutant was a baby, um, which is very rare, um, that, that not only, well, obviously it's rare that a new mutant was born, but it's rare that a, a baby's mutant manifestation occurred because typically most mutants get their manifestation when they hit puberty there. Again, there's always some outliers. Nightcrawler is a good example, born blue and, you know, with fur and a tail and everything like that. Um, but they figured out that it's a baby and since the purifiers are there and some of the marauders are there, they're like, okay, then Mr. Sinister must have the baby. Um, so they have their mission. They have this, this baby is the hope for the mutants. They call it out in the, in the story. This is the, this is the, the beginning of the mutants being able to come back. And so it's more important than ever that the X-Men be the ones who are in possession of this child. And so they got to go find the baby. Um, so it's a hunt. We're, we're, we're having a hunt. Um, speaking of a hunt, the other uh, antagonist that kind of introduced into this story at the very end is this creature called Predator X, um, who is on the hunt for the baby. The, the Predator X is a mutant hunting creature that was essentially created by the purifiers. Um, it happened during new X-Men. The new X-Men actually fought it, um, a little bit and, uh, or fought one like it. I can't remember exactly. Um, but basically long story short, it's just this mindless creature that has to eat and live off of the essence of mutants. And it's going to go hunt, um, this baby. So a lot of people are on the hunt for this. We got the purifiers, we got the marauders, we got predator X. Um, and so that's the big setup that Brubaker kind of puts into this first story. And so we jump into uncanny X-Men 492. Um, once again, professor X wants to help thinks that he should be able to help. He, I mean, which is understandable. Like mutants have been his life, his, his, you know, entire purpose. Um, and now because of one big oopsie this is a really big oopsie. Um, he's no longer, you know, respected or, you know, asked to help with any X-Men affairs. Um, 
he's not allowed to help, but two mutants or two characters show up in order to help um, because basically Emma Frost makes them show up because she does that sometimes. Um, Jamie Madrix and Richter show up, which is great because we just covered uh, X Factor. Um, so you guys got introduced to Jamie Madrix and Richter gets uh, introduced into it right after that. Um, and uh, we know who Jamie is. Richter is a former mutant now human um who uh is still working with the x factor investigation group because he's like their friend um but he's been pretty sad because he's a he's a human now um but they show up because uh cyclops has a mission for them and we'll get into that a little bit more later um as we get into the x factor issues um and then a team of X-Men are sent to track some acolytes down. Um, the acolytes are working with the Marauders. They have a lead on some acolytes that are like living in these, like in this, in the city, in these kind of slums. And so they track them down to get information. Um, and Wolverine, with his you know tactical uh, persuasion techniques, which often involve just sharp blades that come out of his hands um manages to get the if info that they need from these acolytes after a fight obviously there's going to be a fight with a lot of like collateral damage and cool mutant power usage um but again they get the information and so they're gonna uh, move on that um soon that's honestly i know that's a really short summary of this issue but that's mostly what happens to this again they're 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 trying to find this baby they think that the marauders might have it and so they're just kind of going down their leads um but one of the more one of the really interesting stories in this uh crossover event happens in the next issue x factor 25 where madrix who is also accompanied by layla miller i didn't introduce layla miller um a lot of people have conflicting opinions on Layla Miller. I I kind of enjoyed her when I read her for the first time. I still think she's fun. She's a silly little character. I'm sure she's 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 a little two-dimensional, but she's this young girl who shows up to the X Factor investigations and her gimmick is that she knows stuff. Um, in fact, she says that all the time. I, I know stuff. Um, and so she has this predetermined level of knowledge of knowing things that are happening or knowing things that have to happen and stuff like that. And she has attached herself to Jamie Madrix and X Factor. And so she accompanied Jamie and Richter. And so she accompanies Jamie on his mission. Richter has a separate mission. Um, but they go to visit Forge. Forge, we know we've met Forge several times in some of our episodes. Forge is the maker. Forge is the the mutant who can build anything, can understand machinery, um, can do fantastical stuff with technology. And so um, they're there to meet with Forge, who has some time traveling uh, machinery to be used um, and some time traveling tracking machinery that has recently picked up on two alternate two possible timelines going forth um, going forward that have mutants in them like I said after Scarlet Witch did the whole no more mutants thing no more mutants no more mutants in the future no more mutants in alternate timelines no more mutants but because of this baby being born this new mutant baby there's now two possible timelines so they have this plan Forge kind of outlines this plan Jamie is going to send two dupes into those two separate futures um, and then they're going to go and gather information more information of what's going on and then they will return and you know give that information to the x-men um but that's that's the plan 
what happens in reality is not that. Um, the first dupe goes in the future, no problem. Second one, as it's being transported, um, Layla you know, goes a bit crazy and jumps in with that dupe and goes into the future, which shouldn't seem like too much of a problem because the plan was the dupe is supposed to come back. But when she goes, this is when Forge reveals the real plan that they couldn't let Jamie know um, is that this is a one-way trip. The plan was those dupes were given a psychic subliminal message that once they, uh, you know, uh, appeared in their future they were to gather all their information and once they have enough they are to kill themselves um which would seemingly send all their information back now to be clear when i read this i i don't recall jamie's powers working that way sometimes writers go a little wonky with powers and you know they're 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 allowed to they're a little they're allowed to kind of you know build upon some of the stuff but previously jamie had to like absorb the dupes in order to get their past information um but you know what we'll just roll with it it's kind of a cool mechanic for a time travel heist and so um it's a little bit of that like dun 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 layla is trapped in the future with the dupe that that they can't come back um and so with that you know realization uh in mind um jamie in the story blacks out um and is unconscious basically for the rest of the story um we go to Richter now to find out what Richter was doing. Richter, as a human, um, they basically use Rain Sinclair, Wolfsbane, as bait with the purifiers to give an opportunity for Richter to look like he's he's a mutant hater. He kind of shoots at, like, you know, Wolfsbane when she's on the run from the purifiers. And then she gets away, and they're like, what, you know, hey, son, how, how, uh, see, and you don't like them mutants. And he's like, yeah, I hate them mutants. They're nasty, and, and they dress weird. And he's like, I just wish there were more people like me who hated them. And they're like, yo, bro, we hate mutants too. We should, You should come hang out with us. We got a cool, chill spot that has a lot of guns that you can look at and use to kill mutants. So Richter is a plant. He's going to go undercover with the purifiers and because the purifiers are dumb religious fanatic you know uh boys um they're like yeah and they let him be their friend and so richter is is to join them in order to figure out if they have the baby because that's basically what they're like trying to just figure out you know where's the baby who knows where the baby is and is it the purifiers um and so that's the split of two stories that happened in X Factor. X Factor, for the most part, then kind of follows Jamie and Layla, for the most part, going forward. Um, but after X Factor, we get to New X-Men 44, and we kind of check in on the new students. If you remember from New X-Men, like Academy X, um, which is the episode I believe I did with BK, this is like the newest generation of X-Men with people like Surge and Rockslide and Hellion and Dust and Pixie and all them. And so they, they're kind of sidelined. You know, they're kind of benched by Cyclops because they're the kids. This happens quite often. The kids are said, no, you can't go help the adults do their work. And we all know what happens when you tell the kids in these stories, they can't go help. They go help. <laughs> if you, I don't know why Cyclops doesn't realize that telling them no, even I, I'm an idiot and, and I have a teenage kid and I know if I tell her don't do something, she's going to do it. Um, and these are kids with superpowers that are like some feel nigh, you know, invulnerable and immortal. So they're going to, they're going to want, they're going to, you know, be a little rebellious. And they also, they want to exact a little bit of revenge on the purifiers because they know the purifiers are involved and the purifiers, like I said previously, did bomb a bus full of their friends multiple buses i believe i recall correctly it's a very sad issue of the comics to read um and so they're like hey 
let's go take the fight to the purifiers and we'll find the baby. We'll beat the purifiers and bring back the baby and we'll be the heroes. Um, we all know that there was never a chance that was going to happen. We all know that was going to, this entire plan was going to go sideways, but we're along for the ride and we're going to go see how the new X-Men can deal with the purifiers. But before we get to that, we do check back in on Wolverine and his team of hunting mutants that are looking for the baby. And they've basically tracked down the Marauders to Antarctica. And there's a, there's supposedly a base there. They think that's where Mr. Sinister is held up. And um, I think it's in this issue that Nightcrawler does confirm. Um, and so, he kind of sets it up for a big fight um, in the next issue. We also check in on Richter, um, who learns um, how the purifiers know about the baby. They're using more of that old information that the Nimrod robot that they had has. And so that's kind of the answer of like, how did the purifiers know that uh, the baby was in Cooperstown, Alaska? Well, they were using like, you know, future knowledge. Same as like, how did Sinister know where the baby was. He was also using prior knowledge. He also has like in one of the previous issues of X-Men, it shows him using like a janky Cerebro he made. Um, so uh, there's reasons why they beat the X-Men to Cooperstown, even though Professor X immediately, you know, tracked the kid. Um, so he finds out how they knew about the baby and also that they don't have it, that they're still hunting for the baby. So Richter has very important knowledge at this point. Um, we we whip pan to Jamie and uh, Layla, and they're in a timeline where they find out that you know mutants are not free, mutants are not everywhere, um, mutants are basically in death camps. It's a very dark future. It's a future that kind of smells a little bit like days of future past future. It's a little bit of that thing. So it's giving you kind of those vibes and, and you learn a little bit more about that later on and further issues. But that's the that's the setting. Um, the issue basically ends with the new X-Men students um, kind of meh, attacking the purifiers, getting their butts handed to them um, and uh, seemingly ending on quite the cliffhanger where uh, Hellion, the telekinetic boy, um, gets skewered like from behind by uh, Lady Deathstrike, who is an old antagonist of like Wolverine. She's like this cyborg woman who um, you you saw her in X-Men 2. Um, she's the one with the big old fingernails, the big adamantium fingernails. And so her and her bros called the Reavers are working with the Purifiers, I believe in kind of in a paid assassin kind of sense or, or mercenaries. That's more like it. Um, and so, yeah, Hellion's looking like he might die. And that's the big cliffhanger for uh, New X-Men uh, 44. We're going to move on to um, X-Men 205. Um, we're going to cover basically two more issues um, that kind of uh, bookend this kind of mid-story uh, inflection point. Um, and so one of them is X-Men 205 and we have this huge fight between the X-Men and the Marauders. Um, and it's, it's a pretty fun fight to read. It's one of those great instances where you've kind of got a mixture of like some well-known characters, like a Wolverine and a Gambit and that kind of thing. But then you got these Marauders that are kind of like these wild cards that some of you might not be super familiar with, but they're kind of fun. You've got some of the X-Men that were on Rogue's team that have defected to the Marauders, like, you know, um, uh, Lady Mastermind and Omega Sentinel. Um, and they're all kind of like doing the, the whole Power Rangers versus the bad guys thing where they're fighting and swapping around and and 
and having a, a go at each other. Um, it was a great issue to read, just beautiful and, and a fun fight. Um, and the whole thing is actually like uh, umbrellaed around that, like Emma Frost as taking a, a page out of Sinister's book, who Sinister is always with his psychic abilities. He's always uh, uh, protecting his marauders with his psychic abilities. Well, Emma does that by like masking a bunch of the X-Men so that the marauders think they've got like storm outnumbered, but then it's like, shabam, I've got like a bunch of friends with me and a big fight happens. Um, Gambit is working with the Marauders, um, for various reasons. Um, and he's there to also kind of keep an eye on rogue. And so Wolverine thinking that he's like a traitor goes to fight him, but Gambit through their fight actually lets Wolverine know, surprise, surprise, the Marauders don't have the baby. Um, and in fact, an X-Man, uh, according to reports, took the baby so it's like oh it's a big twist one of the x-men who could have the baby if the marauders don't um we go back to like the new x-men fighting with the purifiers and they're basically begging pixie to like teleport them away if she doesn't teleport them away they're gonna die and at first she's like i can't do it i can't do it pixie learned teleportation spells during um a event called inferno not the original inferno with madeline Pryor and mr sinister um but it is one that involves limbo with magic which is another story i would love to cover eventually um we'll get to that one soon because it's a very fun return of magic story but yeah pixie's there Phil, but she's having a hard time doing it um she manages to finally do it and kind of scatters all of the new X-Men all across Washington um, and sends like a bunch of psychic feedback to Emma who then is breaks her concentration with the X-Men that are fighting Sinister and is no longer able to help them with that, which is kind of a, a, a big whoopsies. Um, but she's got her own problems because at the X-Mansion where if, if you don't know this, basically one of the things that the government did um, during the, post house of m era to in order to quote unquote protect the remaining endangered species of mutants they set up a bunch of human run sentinels that are there to guard the the mutants i'm, I'm air quoting a lot um and they they've been there kind of standing post um you we saw them in deadly genesis if you read that uh story with us when we covered it in the episode um but anyways there are sentinels guarding these these giant sentinels bigger than normal ones that are guarding the x-mansion well the pilots inside of these sentinels like get kind of uh, sick from something and they basically merge with the sentinels who then get reprogrammed and are like basically preparing to attack the school they're supposed to be there to protect it now they're going to attack the school who could have seen that coming when someone decided to put sentinels outside of a mutant school and then um in this issue is when we get the big reveal of we know who the X-Men is that has the baby um and it's an X-Men that we thought was dead it's Cable um cable is has the baby he's alive and he's kind of the cause for a lot of this destruction and fighting because he went rogue in order to deal with this new baby on his own terms um other than that uh we do check in with madrix and layla again and they basically decide they need to know how this future came about then you know what's going on with the future and in order to do so they've got to get inside one of these mutant camps but they can't figure out how to get inside one in a way that they can get out um and so that's their 
task in order to accomplish in order to figure out what's going on here and then we get in we kind of get introduced to a one final character in this story that's very important who hasn't really been involved thus far and that's bishop bishop shows up at the school right before the sentinels start attacking the school and bishop kind of um reprimands or gets mad at cyclops for not waiting for him to come before he sent the X-Men to go fight the Marauders. Bishop is insistent that he should have been involved. And Cyclops is like, well, if you wanted to go, you should have been here. And Bishop's like, well, I was following up on some leads myself to figure out what's going on with this new mutant baby. Um, he's acting a little sus. We'll figure out why he's acting a little sus later on. But uh, Bishop is very invested in this mutant baby situation. Um, and by the end of this issue, like, you know, Everyone is beat up. You know, the, they had this big fight in Antarctica where a lot of them got hurt or shot. I think Nightcrawler is shot. Um, and uh, the new X-Men got in this big fight with the Purifiers and they're damaged and hurt. Um, you know, Elixir, their big uh, healing mutant boy, the gold boy from Academy of X. He is unconscious because a wall fell on him. So they don't have a way of immediately like healing all these mutants and so they're like it's looking pretty rough at this point for the x-men they're you know they're they're having to fight off a sentinel attack that's going on um it's not looking good uh the final issue we'll cover for this uh episode is uncanny x-men 493 um where this is where the big fight between the x-men and the sentinels really kind of occurs to like defend themselves from this odd assault because not only are the sentinels assaulting them on like in the physical way all of the psychics in the school are also being taken out of commission beast is very curious as to why how this could be um why why are they being uh you know attacked on all fronts both physical and psychic plane um there's a couple of characters in this story that you might be like who are these people one we've talked about before hepzibah um if you remember the issue where we talked the episode where we talked about the star jammers um cyclops's dad um corsair and his like band of space pirates one of them is hepzibah who's this like skunk like alien girl she's with the x-men right now um and so she's there and so if you see like a very feral looking black and white furry uh character that's hepzibah she's cool um and then another one that's fighting the sentinels is this mutant called gentle um gentle is a uh kind of a foreign exchange student from wakanda he's a mutant from wakanda and he has like an amazing power and a sad power um gentle can basically seemingly make himself as strong as he wants like hulk level strength the problem is is that the stronger he makes himself the more pain he causes himself and the more damage he causes himself um it's kind of a, a through line they do with a few mutants strong guys very similar where strong guy absorbs energy and converts it to muscle power but if he absorbs too much he's had like heart attacks gentle is the same way where he can get big he can get strong he can take out an entire sentinel but in doing so it endangers him um and in fact he has these like um lines of color on him that are kind of almost like look like they're drawn on him or painted on him and those are actually lines of vibranium that they put on him that is there to try to um i guess like soothe this pain or 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 quell this problem um but yeah if you see that character like i don't know who that mutant is that's gentle gentle is kind of a really cool character i like him um 
while they're fighting the Sentinels, Iceman, who left to go find the new X-Men, who are all scattered around Washington, he returns in the Blackbird um, and, you know, tries to help with the situation going on with the Sentinels. Um, luckily, they do beat the Sentinels, um, but the quote-unquote pilots that are inside, which are now these nano-Sentinel-like creatures, they leave and say, like, "Where this ain't the last you've heard of us. We're going to return. They're kind of a... a prologue to another villain that's going to come later i'm pretty sure i forgot to do my research but i'm like i think that's bastion um who is like the evolution of nimrod and the ultimate uh mutant hating machine man cyborg creature um but yeah that's that's like uh the mysterious setup for that that will be resolved later on um because it was a nano sentinel attack cyclops worries that it might have been cable who actually like attacked the school. He doesn't know what Cable's like plan is here. Cable's like the scientific tactician. He's acting rogue. And so he doesn't know what's going on, but he knows that Cable has the baby and they've got to hunt him down. And so this is the really cool part of the story. One of the main reasons I wanted to cover the story, the story in itself is perfectly set up for to be an, uh, you know, something we cover in this podcast um, because it's a big historical moment for the X-Men. But Honestly, it really came down to I wanted to talk to you guys about Uncanny X-Force. And this is the origin of Uncanny X-Force, which is a really cool, dark X-Men comic that'll be really fun to talk about later. But this is the origin of it. Basically, Cyclops is like, I need a team to, you know, a spec ops team to hunt down Cable, who is this like, you know, advanced futuristic tactician. And so he tells Wolverine, make a team, make an X-Force. And so Wolverine goes, yes, sir, this is what I want. And he gets all the stabby people he could find. Everybody who has stabby sharp powers, he grabs them. He grabs Hepzibah, he grabs uh, Wolfsbane and Warpath and X-23 and Caliban. Um, Caliban is a character we really haven't seen too much in it, but but you did get introduced to him when, if you had seen the movie Logan, um, played by Stephen Merchant. Um, Caliban is a mutant hunter. He can sense mutants. He can find them. And so he's perfect for this team, um, as well as like all the other, you know, mutants that he puts on the team. They've all got like tracking abilities or, or you know, spec ops, you know, specialties. Um, it's, it's kind of a perfect little team. And uh, they're the beginning of X-Force, which will be a title that will come out of Messiah Complex. The other fun part of this issue is that we we really do get the these introduced to this iconic image that really becomes a big part of Cable's history, which is this image of Cable with the little baby in a pouch on his front of his chest, like a kangaroo pouch. He basically, you know, he's now put himself in charge of taking care of this baby. And this is the image that we're going to have for quite a while as we follow Cable through Messiah Complex and even beyond. Um, but... That's basically the first half of Messiah Complex. It's this big reveal that a mutant baby was born and Cable has stolen this baby. We don't know why. We don't know what his end game is. We don't know what the end game is for all these people. What Sinister is going to be doing, what the Purifier is going to be doing, all that kind of stuff. We don't know what this means for the future of mutant kind. Is this actually the rebooting of them or not? Um, How is that going to work out? And not all the answers will come out um, through the end of the story, but it's a whole six other issues that still have to occur for this and we're gonna i'm gonna devote a whole another episode to it i as i was writing my notes i was like i can't get through this in one one episode it'd be a two-hour episode and i'd be 
dead on my feet as I'm talking into the microphone about this. But this is part one. I hope you join me for part two. I hope you read along and enjoy this story. Um, and I hope I've helped make this story understandable. This is the reason why I make this show in order to make uh, X-Men comics more enjoyable and more understandable. Um, let me know if I did that. Um, you can let me know on our discord, um, which you can find by going to the Patreon, patreon.com slash class of X. Um, or you can, if you're listening to this on Spotify and you want to answer the little, how was this episode question in Spotify? Let me know. Did I make this make sense? Did I miss something? Do you have questions of like, John, you skipped over this part. Who, who's this? Why, why they do this? I'm happy to answer the question. Um, until uh, next time, though, um, I uh, be good, be kind, be brave, and we'll talk about some more X-Men very soon. Um, I hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving and have a great rest of your holidays. Goodbye.